Matthew chapter 9, please. I invite you to turn to that reading. The title of the message, The Money Man Called. Let's just unite our heart, a word of prayer, as we come to the preaching of God's Word. You pray that the Lord might have a word for your heart and for you individually tonight. Father in heaven, we thank Thee again for Thy presence. We thank you, Lord, for those that can sing of a wonderful, wonderful day when Jesus, my Savior, I met. We praise you, Lord, for those who have the second birthday tonight, the day of their conversion, the day where they were never to be the same again. And, oh, God, heaven came down, our souls to greet and glory crowned, the mercy seat. Thank the Lord for that day when the angels rejoiced over another who had repented. Lord, make it such a day tonight. Make it such a time for another soul. I pray, Lord, that thou would be pleased to meet with some young person, older man or woman, and Lord, that they would be able to look back and testify it was there. And it was then the 20th November, the Lord met with me and saved me. Oh, Father, we thank the Lord I can do that work. I can speak the word, and it shall be done. To that end, we lay hold upon thee. We pray, Lord, you'd answer the prayers of thy people, even before the meeting has started. And we ask, Lord, that we might see thy power even manifested tonight. O oh God, bring us into this passage. Give us understanding. Give us clarity. Lord, give us uh, that concentration that we need. Uh, we, we recognize not only does the preacher need help, but the people in the pew need help as well. And we pray that thou would be glorified in all that's said and done. To that end, fill me with thy spirit and with power. Give me words. Words, Lord, that must and shall prevail. Give us those prevailing words we ask. Oh, may there be signs following the preaching of thy word tonight as thou hast promised. Lord, come by and bless us, we ask. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Society at present seems to be dominated by a bleak economic outlook and forecast. You might be excused in thinking every time that you turn on the news bulletins that there are doom merchants sitting behind the news desks. There is the proverbial black hole in the government coffers. In no small part due to the overspend in dealing with a virus. Among other foolish measures that they have sanctioned. But now, is the payback time. The fuel crisis. The cost of living crisis. These are words now that are very familiar in conversation and they're well used these days. And much focus was upon a man last week who controls the treasury. And just a few days ago he would stand in the House of Commons and there was great interest in what taxation measures he would introduce in his autumn statement. But tonight, men and women, 
I want you to look and to focus upon another man. A man who I want you in your mind's eye to picture sitting behind a desk. The man has a quill in his hand when with the authority of God, the Holy Spirit, resting upon him, uh, guiding his every word, he begins to write of the things that he both heard and had seen. You see, this was one of those holy men of which Peter writes about in Second Peter 1 who spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost, or moved upon by the Holy Ghost, if you like. Consider him writing of the account of the Savior's trial ere he went to the crucifixion on that cross of Calvary. Consider how he gives those details. Details uh, about which no other writer gives. For example, of how the message was conveyed by Pilate's wife to him to have nothing to do with this just man. Of Pilate himself washing his hands symbolically by water before he sent the Christ of God and the Savior of the world to be crucified on yonder tree. He notes it down. Picture him recalling the parables of Christ. Again, some of which are unique to this man's writing. They're found nowhere else. Or even, as we've read tonight, just picture him reading, writing about the account of the man sick of a palsy. And while he was a man carried by four into the very presence and laid down at the feet of the Savior, he was a man who was to go home by himself. Not only healed in body, but healed spiritually. But there's another miracle. Another miracle that this man wants his readers to marvel in and in response to glorify the Lord. For although it is condensed into just a few small number of words, yet it's just as wonderful. It was the miracle of how the Lord Jesus Christ was to meet with a money man. Even worse than a man sick of a palsy, but who likewise was to know the power of God, for it enabled him to arise and to walk. And as he recalls this day, a day never to be forgotten of which we've been singing about, when the Savior performed this miracle, he may have been filled up with emotion. For the man who wrote it was the man in question. As you'll find it in the words of verse 9. And as Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom. And he said unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. There's the money man called. I want you to note here his condition. The words of our text state that the Savior passing forth was to see a man named Matthew. I want you to understand what the Savior saw when he looked upon this man. For remember something, that the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance 
but the Lord looketh on the heart, and it is the heart that reflects the true character of any man or woman. What the Lord saw that day was a man perceived and to be understood to be a traitor. For here was one who sold himself to the Romans. The Roman authorities had rule over Israel. Here's a man, we would say, was working for the government, working for the Romans. He was commonly known as a tax collector. And as such, not only was he considered to be the lowest of the low, the very off-scouring of the earth, but he was one who was a traitor to his own people and to his own nation. The tax collectors in those days were among the most hated of all people. It seemed that they were devoid of any human kindness as they carried out their business at the receipt of custom. They effectively had turned their backs upon their own people to serve the Roman authorities. And they were also those whom people knew to be thieves and robbers. Having gained the right from the Roman authorities to gather the taxes, it was commonly known that the more they gathered, then the more they could keep for themselves, the more they feathered their own pockets. They asked over and above what was required so that they could steal and keep for themselves what was not theirs. You may turn with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 19. Because as you do so, at the very start of this chapter, you will come across the introductory note about another man, Zacchaeus. It reveals the sort of character that he was, but that which was common among all the tax collectors. It says, And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho, and behold, stop and think of this. Give attention to this, what's about to follow. There's a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. He was rich primarily because he had gained his money through false accounting. That was the sort of life that these men lived. And this man who was called Levi, the son of Alphaeus, was no different. And as you see him sitting there in your mind's eye, he's a man who's absorbed in thinking about nothing else than his business, his money, and how to acquire more. How do we know that they acquired their money wrongfully? Well, you just think of Zacchaeus after he met the Lord that day. And one of the first responses was, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. He understood what he had done. He knew that he had gained by the false accusation, the false accounting. And the same was the case with Matthew. And the more you get a glimpse of this man, and the more those words of the Savior come flooding back, no doubt, to your heart and to your soul. Words that he spoke to the disciples one day, as you find him in Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, and verse 24. And the disciples were astonished at his words. Why were they astonished? Well, you read the previous verse, it tells you. And Jesus looked round about and said unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? They were astonished at that. 
But Jesus answered again and saith unto them, Children, how hard it is for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? And Jesus, looking upon them, saith, With men it is impossible, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. Those who trust in riches. Nothing wrong in having riches, by the way. If you have a few pounds tonight, thank God for it. The Lord give it to you. The Lord allowed you to have it. But it's those that trust in riches. How hardly it will be for them to enter into the kingdom of God. And the Lord uses an illustration. It will be easier for a camel to get through the eye of an eagle. And you will think of that, uh, and the ladies will know what the needle eye looks like. It's very, very small, uh, and maybe most of you would need a pair of glasses to get the, the, the thread through it. But you know, the illustration takes you further than that, because it was believed in the walls of Jerusalem. There was a little gate, just a small gate, and it was called the eye of the needle. And for that beast, and for that person on the beast to get through the eye of the needle, he had to get off the camel. And they had to get the camel to bow down to get in, in under that eye, in, in, in through that little gate. It was a job to do so. And that's what the Lord uses the illustration of a rich man and, and entering into the kingdom of heaven. And while it may be impossible with men, thank God it is not impossible with God. And the character of Matthew before the Lord met him was one who stole. He was a thief. And if there's something else about this man that people perceived him to be, he was a sinner. You consider what that they were often numbered amongst the harlots and the other sinners of that day. You'll find that in Matthew chapter 21 and verse 31. It says this, Where, Whether of them twain did the will of his father, they say unto him, The first, Jesus saith unto them, Verily I say unto you, that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. Do you see what the harlots is mentioned in the same bracket as the publicans? Oh, they were counted as the real sinners. They were the outcasts of society. They were looked upon with suspicion from many people, not least because they were considered unclean due to the nature of their contacts with the Gentiles and, of course, of their business. But what the Lord saw that day in that man was a man in the lost condition. The man, uh, the Lord was to see his heart and a man who needed God's salvation. And while it may have seemed impossible in the eyes of men, nothing is too hard for the Lord. For let me remind ourselves that what this man is or was is what each of us are also before the Lord. You might say, preacher, I'm not a traitor. Oh, you are. We're traitors, spiritually. For in Adam we sold ourselves to sin. We sold ourselves to rebellion against God. We turned our backs on our Creator and the One who made us in His own image. That's what makes you different from the beasts in the field. God has given us a conscience. He's given us a, a, an emotion. He's given us a feelings. The beast in the field hasn't got a conscience or hasn't got a soul. But we're made in the image of God. In Adam we disobeyed God upon the threat of death, whereby the Apostle Paul could state, For as in Adam all die. He was our representative. He was our federal head. 
And because he fell, and because he sinned against God, then so did every one of his race. We are those who are sold unto sin. We're traitors. We're turned our back on our Creator. But we are also those who are thieves. Because of sin, we have a debt to God that we cannot pay. Sin has robbed us of everything, of that sweet and perfect communion with the Lord, of the promise of life upon which Adam was created. And because of sin, man ever since has sought to steal from God, to rob him of his glory and the honor that is his due. Man steals from the Lord's day when he desecrates the Sabbath with his own pleasures and recreation. When God has said, as we reminded of last week, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Man robs God of what is his by right just as it was in Malachi's time. And yet how many don't recognize it? Malachi 3, verse 8, Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, wherein have we robbed thee in tithes and offerings? Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. If I will not open you the windows of heaven, and pour you out a blessing, that there shall be not room enough to receive it. Man robs God. It's abundantly clear that man's condition is no different to that which was perceived in Levi. Man is a deep-dyed sinner. There's no difference. Romans 3 reminds us all of sin and comes short of the glory of God. They're all gone out of the way. They're together become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. My friend, tonight, without God's salvation in this meeting house, you are that sinner. You are that one whose heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And if you want to know what your heart is capable of, then you've only got to consider the words of Matthew again, chapter 15 and verse 18, 19. He says, For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. It's out of the heart. That's what you are before God. But thank God the Savior said, I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And that was the salient lesson that the Lord gave even this day. And call, come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Do you recognize your condition tonight before an all-seeing God? You know, there's something else here. There is this calling. This must have seemed just to be another day to Matthew as he went about this sordid work of taking the taxes off the people. As he set out a stall. And while many would have passed by that way, and while many never gave Matthew a second look, there's one passer by that day of whom he would never forget. For we read in our text that Jesus passed forth from thence. This was the day in which Matthew was to have a meeting with the Savior and with the one who was called Jesus of Nazareth. 
There were multitudes in that city that day. There were other streets there in that place that the Lord could have went down. But I want you to understand something, that there's nothing that is by accident with the Lord. There's no accidents with God. There's no coincidences with God. For the calling of Matthew was something that was planned, and that from all eternity. The Lord knew all about Matthew as he does each one of us. And he knew where he'd find him. He knew where he would be. I reference you to John 1. Because there we read of how Philip was to find Nathaniel. And he was to bring him to the Savior. We have found the Messiah. We have found the Christ, Nathaniel. And you know that man was to come and meet with the Savior that day. That was the time when Nathaniel was to realize Christ knew everything about him. Even as sitting under the fig tree. You see, it says there in the words of verse 47, Jesus saw Nathaniel coming to him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no guile. Nathanael said unto him, Whence knowest thou me? Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. I believe Nathanael was already converted. For the Lord spoke of him, in whom there's no guile. The work had already been done, but he knew where he was. He knew that he was sitting under the fig tree, maybe from the shade, from the noonday sun. And I suggest to you, he knew what he was doing. There's every suggestion here that he was reading the account in the scriptures of Jacob and that night in which he dreamed and the ladder reaching from heaven to earth came down. And the angels ascending and descending upon it. I can say that to you because if verse 51 is anything to go by. He said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Hereafter ye shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. He knew everything about him. He knew where he was, what he was doing. But this was the day in which Matthew was to be found. It was a calling plan from all eternity. What about you, dear loved one, tonight? I wonder, could it be that this will be the day when you'll hear the call of the Master, when you'll hear the call of the Lord, even to your heart and to your soul? You see, understand, this call of the Lord was powerful. Matthew was to hear the voice of the Savior. That voice was a voice of authority and one of power. For the Savior simply said unto him, Follow me. Two words. Those who heard the Savior were heard to say, Never man spake like this man. When they heard the Savior preach, we read that they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them with authority and not as the scribes. And it was with authority that he called Matthew unto himself. And men and women, the Lord is still calling in authority. For just as he called Matthew by the word of his power, so tonight the Lord is calling by the authority of his word. The word that liveth and abideth forever. The word that is incorruptible. Seed. We believe tonight that authority does not lie within a church. Authority does not lie within a body of men as the church of Rome would teach. But our final authority rests upon God's inerrant and God's infallible word. One 
commentator said this, since God is the author, it must be authoritative. The Bible doesn't merely contain the Word of God. It is the Word of God. And as God's Word, it is our sole rule of faith and of practice. And anything and everything can be held up before the Word of God to the law and to the testimony. Isaiah chapter 8. If they speak not according to this Word, it is because there's no light in them. You can bring anything before the Word of God. And you will know whether it's truth or whether it's error or not. And dear love, when I say to you in all sincerity, you dismiss this book. You dismiss the Word of God even as just another book and you forfeit any hope that your soul will ever be brought to repentance and faith and to be believing the gospel. The Savior's voice is still one of authority. And as the general call of the gospel goes forth again tonight to your heart, I pray that you might hear not the voice of a preacher, but that you would hear the effectual call of God to your soul, just as Matthew did. For I tell you, like the psalmist could say, the voice of the Lord is powerful, and it can make the hardest and the most sinful soul obey Him. I can't cause an anxious thought. But the Lord's voice can. He can break you, sir. He can break you, madam, and bring you to your knees where you'll not be able to do anything other than cry unto God for mercy. That's the power. That's in the Word of God. The word of Christ was to grip this man's heart. For this call was personal. It was to him. Follow me. And the Lord of glory, the one in whom was no sin and could not sin, the very promised Messiah who should come as was promised from the Old Testament Scriptures. He was calling this wretch of a sinner and in the estimation of many, one of the very worst kind. And yet the Lord called on to him and said, Follow me. Isn't that amazing? That man and woman can only speak to you and me of the grace of God. There is nothing of good or of merit in Matthew. And yet the Lord called on to him that he might be his follower, that he might be his disciple. Matthew didn't deserve the grace of God. He deserved God's judgment because of his sin, both by nature and by practice. But the very fact that the Savior called on to him speaks that salvation is all of God's grace. But you see, dear loved one, tonight, you don't deserve God's grace either. You don't deserve God's salvation either. You deserve but His wrath. Because you are a sinner by birth and by practice. And sin God has to punish. But yet, in mercy, the Savior is still calling sinners unto Himself. In tones of mercy, He will come to your heart tonight, and He will say, Come unto me, all yet labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
You're weighed down tonight. You're burdened tonight with your sin. And you can't get rid of it. Your good works will not do it. Your giving into the church won't do it. But there's one who says, come unto me. And I will give you rest. Dear soul, have you heard this call of God to your heart? Then will you heed the call of the gospel? And will you come even to Christ now? Matthew heard the call of the Lord. But you know, I want, don't want to stop there because I want to show you his conversion. Is any too hard for the Lord? Let us learn from this, nothing is impossible with God. He can take a tax collector, He can make him a disciple and a follower of Christ. He can take an old sinful heart and He can give him a new heart and make all things new. Here's a word to those who may have become discouraged in praying for a wayward loved one. And you prayed for years maybe. And you don't see any change. There's no change in attitude. There's no softening. Don't give up. Pray on. For the power of the Lord and His Word has not diminished. And back home, by the power of God's Spirit, that sinner by God's grace can be converted from being a child of hell to being a child of God. For that's what happened to Matthew this day. You see, he's given a new name. Instead of Levi, Levi has the meaning of being joined to. He's a man that was joined to sin. He was a man who was joined to the devil. He won the devil's crowd. And now he's been called Matthew because Matthew means gift of Jehovah. The call of the Savior was not only powerful, it was effectual. Notice what Matthew's response was. Verse 9 says this at the end. He says, And he arose and followed him. Just two words. As the Lord passed by, he saw a man. And he said, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. I especially like the manner in which Luke puts it in his gospel account. Luke chapter 5 and verse 28 says this. Accounting of the same time that we're looking at tonight, it says this, and he left all, rose up, and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his own house. He's given a new name. I've showed you that. His response was that he arose and he followed Christ. What did he do? He left all. He left all. It was a forsaking of the old life. He left all behind him. He left the ill-gotten gains that he had received. He left the old habits behind and the old lifestyle. You might say, preacher, if the Lord saves me, will I be able to give up this sin and that craving? God not only saves, but he gives the grace to forsake all and leave it behind. I'm sure you have known, I have known, I used to have a neighbor and he used to smoke 80 a day. The Lord saved him. The next morning he went for the fags and he got them and he fired them into the back of the fire. Never had another one again. 
is he asks the grace of God in salvation. A man's life has changed. He's given a new name. He bears the name of Christ. He's given a new walk. And for Matthew, this is what happened. God was to change him from the inside out, forsaking those preconceived notions and ideas as to how you're going to get into heaven. You'll forsake it all. And you'll be trusting only in Christ and His finished work of Calvary's cross. But not only was there a forsaking, but there was a following. Matthew, at the call of the Master, was to arise and he was to follow the Savior. From that day forth, he had a new outlook. He had a new direction. He was now following the Christ of God and he would do so for the remainder of his days. Matthew arose to follow Christ. I dare say, if you go around center the meeting house tonight, you'll find maybe a believer and they've been following Christ for 40 years. And they're still following and they're still happy to do it. And maybe more. Is there one tonight who will take up the cross and follow the Lord? And this will be the very starting point. You'll be able to look back to this night in which you uh, met with Christ and you uh, were to be changed from inside out. And you were to start following the Master. Dear child of God, I trust that you're not following the Lord from afar off. I trust that your walk is up to date. You see, that ungodly person, that unsaved soul, they may not read the Bible, but they'll read your life and mine. That's just a wee challenge there. Make sure we're walking up to date with the Lord. I want you to notice that Matthew's conversion that day meant also something else. It meant a fellowshipping. Did you see the next words? The words in verse 10. I've already read it in the account that Luke gives. But it says in verse 10, came to pass as Jesus sat at meat in the house. Behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. We have read in Luke's account, it was Levi's house. He brought the Savior into the house. And the other accounts make it clear it was his house and he invited the sinners. He invited the other publicans, the old guys that he had labored with for a, for a long time. And he opens up his house so that they might have the opportunity of meeting with Christ, that they might hear him speak to them. Matthew, see, was already engaged in the service of the Master. He desired that others just like himself would be converted and that they too would follow the Savior. Oh, he didn't have to preach, but he opened up the house. He had an opportunity to reach his fellow employees. Matthew was to be one of the Lord's disciples. And what blessings were to follow as he would hear the prince of preachers, as he saw his miracles, as he witnessed his power. And my dear friend, tonight you know you can know by experience this fellowshipping with Christ. Oh, you can have fellowship with God's people. You can come into the house of God. There's times that we can have a little bite of supper together. But I'm talking about fellowshipping with Christ. For you see, Roman, uh, Revelation 3 and 20, that's what it's all about. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. And men and women, that verse, listen, in the context, it's root to the people of God. It's root to the church. 
The Lord was outside the door. And he desired that fellowshipping with his people. It's often a verse, I've done it myself, taken out of context and preached to the unconverted. But the fellowshipping is with Christ. You can know his healing power in your life tonight. You can know his fellowship. You can know him taking you and using you even as a means of bringing others to himself. You see, that's what the Lord was to do in the life of Matthew. And years after the Lord had ascended to glory, the Holy Spirit guided Matthew to write his gospel account. And we still have it. And it will stand the test of time. For the Lord said, Heaven and earth will one day pass away, but my words shall never pass away. My dear friend, will you not come and be saved tonight and see what God by His grace can do with your life? See what he can do with your life. Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. May God give you the grace tonight even to bow the knee and to respond as Matthew did at the call of the Savior to follow him. He arose and they followed him. May the Lord bless his word to our hearts for his own